This uh, presentation is unfortunately a bit dated. Uh, I, since we've been back in the States, I haven't been up here uh, where my resources are uh, to be able to update it. So update is in progress. If you see, uh, I would appreciate it if you would uh, be very attentive. And if you have questions, please ask. If we don't have time, I'll give you a little bit of time to interact here after I do the video. If we don't have time, ask afterward or get my contact info and we can discuss. I, uh, I want to get your questions so I make sure I can communicate more uh, clearly in the, in the update video. The reason that it's outdated is that this last year we spent a year in, in Zambia, uh, Central Africa, and while we were there we had our third boy. So the, so the information here only has the number one and number two. Uh, Jamin, our third, is our, our African-American baby. He doesn't show up here. All right, I'm told that I can just hit space. There we go. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who arises to rule over the nations, and the Gentiles will set their hope on him. Roughly the same size as Texas, Kenya is home to 10 major tribal groups and a host of other domestic and foreign peoples, nearly 38 million souls in all. With a climate ranging from desert to temperate to tropical coast, Kenya is a land of never-ending variety. Worldwide, Kenya is famous for its beautiful landscapes, its amazing wildlife, and its Olympic track champions. Situated as a hub of East African nations such as Tanzania, Somalia, and Uganda, and blessed with prime coastland and a relatively stable economy, Kenya has become a center for trade and culture for the region. But HIV-AIDS has had a drastic effect on the population demographics of the country. One out of every 15 adults is infected with HIV-AIDS. Only 55% of the population of Kenya is over the age of 15. To compare, the median age in the United States is 37. In Kenya, it is 18. This tragedy makes it all the more urgent to develop the next Kenyan generation for carrying out Christ's commission. Do not be afraid. Keep speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and I have many people in this city. We will base our ministry near the strategic city of Nairobi, the capital of Kenya. Nairobi is the largest city in East Africa, and the fourth largest in Africa, boasting a metropolitan population of four million. Nairobi is one of few world-class African cities and it acts as a headquarters for politics, business, government, and culture for the region. People from all around Kenya, Uganda, Sudan, Somalia, and Ethiopia are migrating to this city with hopes of political security, steady work, food, and a few marginal comforts. Nairobi is an example of the dramatic contrast between the first world and the third world where material wealth coexists in an uneasy relationship with great poverty. 
50% of Nairobi's population lives in slum conditions that cover only 5% of the city area. 40% of all Kenyans do not have consistent work. Individual local churches find it difficult to reach this large geographical area within the city of 4 million souls because so many people are unable to afford vehicles of their own for travel. The obvious solution of planting more churches in the city presents its own challenges. One perennial challenge to urban ministry in a setting like Nairobi is that overcrowded third world living conditions exist alongside first world real estate prices. Another challenge is finding faithful men who are qualified to take the reins of new church planting projects. Missions in Nairobi has reached a stage of critical strategic crossroads. For generations, missionaries from the West have been planting churches and training individual pastors to lead them. However, in this city of great potential, we have identified a network of faithful, Bible-centered Kenyan pastors and church leaders who sense that they are inadequately equipped to train the next generation of their leaders. The time is ripe for a final push toward completing the foreign missionary work in this city. A final push toward having Kenyans reach Kenyans and the world with the glorious gospel of Christ. It's time to pass the baton. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jenny and Jeremy grew up in Bible-believing homes and faithful Baptist churches, Jenny in New York and Jeremy in Texas. Coming to know the Lord at early ages, they both began considering foreign missions work in high school. After meeting at Bible College, our friendship grew as we served together in a local church and on a summer missions team. After each of us had finished our undergraduate work in Hebrew and Greek, we were married and joined Intercity Baptist Church, our home and sending church. Since then, we have been serving together there as Jeremy completed his seminary education. In 2006 and in 2009, the Lord granted us additions to our family, entrusting us with raising Josiah and Jonas for his glory. We believe that God has uniquely prepared and gifted us to partner with this team in seizing the opportunity to train Kenyans for foreign and domestic ministry. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be qualified to teach others. Our mission is to equip Kenyans to reach Kenyans and the world for Christ. That process begins and will always involve personally actively proclaiming the gospel and reaching the lost in Kenya. We will also partner with young Kenyan church leaders to organize new believers into independent congregations that are not artificial reproductions of American churches. We want the churches we plant to be both thoroughly biblical and obviously Kenyan. Finally, we will seek to establish a church-supported graduate-level seminary for equipping pastors. Our goal is that in 30 years, Kenyans will be teaching Kenyans Greek, Hebrew, in-depth theology, and expository preaching. This is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. To meet our goals, 
we will have the privilege to implement a team philosophy of missions, partnering with experienced Kenyan missionaries, Joel and Marianne Weaver, other like-minded missionaries, as well as Kenyan nationals. We plan to base our evangelism and church planting operations on the growing southeast side of Nairobi. There, we will partner with young nationals, training them one-on-one -on -one as we pass the new churches into their hands. Modular theological education will also be a major aspect of our ministry. Our network of pastors in Kenya are not able to adequately train young men to pastor their churches. So we plan to organize block classes and conferences for those who are already in ministry, equipping them to pass on to faithful men the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, we will implement a residential theological education program. Our efforts to train the next generation of Baptist pastors in Kenya is greatly benefited by 100 acres of mission land, which Grace Baptist Mission possesses on the southeast side of Nairobi immediately adjacent to the only trans-African highway between Nairobi and the port city of Mombasa. This prime property will allow us to provide a home base on which to host a residential graduate school. This property will at the same time keep us close enough to the city to establish new churches and to further equip current pastors. Everything we do will be concerned with enabling these Kenyan churches to reach Kenya East Africa and the nations for the sake of Christ's name. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with joyful song. Our plan for ministry in Kenya involves three phases that all depend on each other. Evangelism, church planting, and ministerial training. We long to glorify our Lord in Kenya by stimulating a Kenyan-driven church planting movement and by theologically influencing and educating the leadership of that movement. It is time to pass the baton, time to train Kenyans to reach Kenyans and the globe with the precious gospel of God. Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be honored just as it was among you. The time is ripe. God has shown us their need and granted us the opportunity to meet it. How can you participate with us in this strategic mission? Please pray for God's perfect timing in our lives and ministries, for the necessary support for us to get to Kenya quickly, and for a smooth transition to new ministries in Kenya. Any questions? First one's always the hardest. Questions, questions, questions. Some of you, I think somebody mentioned um, Dan Hofstetler. Uh, what's that? Oh, you have a question? Go ahead. The tusks. No, 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 that's, that's decoration. <laughs> there's, a, there's a very uh, deeply flourishing tourism industry in Kenya. So 
any of you come, decide to come and visit us, we would welcome you, and I'm sure we could show you uh, a good time. Uh, some of you may know Dan Huffsteller. I think he's been through here. He is going to be the uh, administrator of the school. If you've been following his information, you know that the mission land um, was actually became unworkable. So our location has changed. We purchased some very expensive land in the, in the city. Uh, the church purchased the land that it was renting. And now, uh, now we have a location inside the city, which has its, its pluses, um, namely that, that it's very accessible. We're no longer 45 minutes, depending on traffic, away from the center of the city. Um, but, <clears throat> but it also is no longer going to be residential. We'll have to help our students find housing uh, in the area if they don't already have something. So... There are pluses and minuses, but we were basically forced into the decision um, that we made. That's another update that I'll have to put into the, uh, the next DVD. Other questions? Yes. It is becoming more industrialized. Uh, one of the names for that part of the world is the developing world. This is the developed world, that's the developing world. So it's becoming more industrialized. One of the reasons that we had to leave the mission land that we had was that they're setting up a concrete factory. It's bigger than anything else in East Africa, and I think it's like the second largest uh, factory in Africa. So. Manufacturing is on, uh, is on the uptick, but uh, for the most part, I would say agricultural. They have a big flower industry. Valentine's Day in London is colored by many Kenyan flowers. Uh, tourism is a very big part of their economy, um, and you can see that in the fact that just recently they've, they've begun taxing uh, people who live there, who take, who get their income there, but but are from somewhere else, like like missionaries, uh, we we actually have to submit to a tax on on that side because they see people from outside the country as being full of money. <laughs> it's it's and that's running a tourist industry or to being dependent on tourist industry. That's a natural conclusion to come to. So uh, that that is a big part of their their economy. Say agriculture. And tourism, yes. Well, uh, by and large, if you are going along the street and you ask somebody if they're a Christian, usually you'll get a yes. And what that means for them is many, many possibilities. Uh, there's a very high prevalence of the prosperity gospel. That is. Uh, somehow that following Christ will mean that your wife won't miscarry, that your pigs will uh, multiply, that your crops will not fail, um, and following Jesus is not about that. And certainly we learn wisdom principles that help us be industrious in our farming, um, but success 
is not a promise of the gospel unless you're talking about true success or eternal life, knowing God, in which case the gospel is the only way. Uh, Islam is growing everywhere in the world. And Kenya is no exception. A port city of Mombasa that I mentioned on the Indian Ocean is a, a hotbed for Islam. And we hope that we'll be able to use some context that we have in that area, believers, and uh, have influence among the believers, equip them to fight um, in that marketplace of ideas and, and get the gospel to these people. In that region of the world, you just have to go one country north and you're, you're hitting Islam prevalent, very prevalent. So, so that will be a, uh, one of our main tasks. Yes? Yes. Some of the ideas behind that. Well, uh, this is, to me, it's something that really doesn't require a lot of justification. Uh, if we believe, you know, there, in church history, there is a belief that you'll find cropping up every once in a while, that the Great Commission applied only to the apostles. I mean, because Jesus was talking to those guys. And they had huge progress. The gospel went out into the whole Roman world. So some people see it as being basically fulfilled in that first generation of Christianity. But there's a problem with that. Because the command itself cycles around. It says... The command itself is to teach them everything I've commanded you, which would include the Great Commission itself. So each generation has the obligation to spread the gospel in their network of influence and around the world. Now, we embrace that in America. I think many uh, mature Christians, that's very familiar ground. The problem is, is that we fail to realize we are the end of the world. I mean, if the gospel started in Jerusalem, we are as strange to that culture as Africa or China or any other. But we still have the obligation to reach out, right? Kenyans, Kenyan believers have the obligation of the Great Commission. It rests on their shoulders the same way it rests on our shoulders. And we've been given opportunities, um, national stability and prosperity, perhaps that, that is unparalleled. And, and with that comes great responsibility. But the commission itself applies to them just like it applies to us. So we need to be training them, equipping them to go to Ethiopia, to go to South Sudan, to go to North Sudan, to go to Somalia, to go to Timbuktu, to Bali, uh, to go to the Islamic North Africa, to go to Central Asia, and not saying, why don't you go and spill your blood and I'll just stay here where it's safe, but going along with them and partnering with them. Uh, for too long, American Christianity, Western Christianity has treated uh, African Christianity like a child, like a son. And, you know, we... 
we, we love them, we, are, uh, we want to support them, but we have failed to realize that by now, they should be taking care of themselves, and we should be working together as partners in reaching the world for Christ. And kind of tell I really believe that. <laughs> All right, let's look. Um, Pastor Ken asked me to share a lesson. So if there aren't any other questions, I'll shift gears and look at Matthew 19. Any other questions? Matthew 19. Okay. Me specifically, what will I be doing? My dream is when I get to Africa to continue as I did last year, teach Old Testament. I, I'm just an Old Testament guy. I mean, if you look at your uh, the Bible that you use here as kind of a, a handout Bible, 897 is where the Old Testament ends, that page number, and Revelation is 1170. 900 pages of 1200. Okay? That's why I'm an Old Testament professor. <laughs> this is very important. So it's my passion to teach Old Testament. What that will look like there, I, I really desire to teach Hebrew as a living language. There's, that's happening in, in the United States. It's something that is actually an ancient way of teaching languages. That's how you learned when you were two and three and four to speak. Uh, it's, my, it's my dream to get to the level in Hebrew and get to the level in Swahili where I can help them learn Hebrew as a living language so that they can have access to the Word of God in the original. Two reasons. One is the Great Reformation was spurred by access to the Scriptures in the original. And Africa needs that kind of theological reformation and revival. The other reason... See if I can remember it. Um, <laughs> oh, that was perfect. Oh, well. Okay. Oh, that'll come. Access to the original. There it is. Um, common objection in Kenya is that you're preaching white man's religion. And Jesus is a white man, they say, and, and came for white men. And what you're preaching... Uh, is, is foreign to our context. But you give these men the Hebrew Old Testament, the Greek New Testament, when they see it for themselves as it was written, they knock the legs from out of under that argument. And they say, no, I've read it for myself. What Jesus said in the language that he said it, you must be born again. This is not white man's religion. This is everybody. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter what your background is. It's not a black thing or a white thing or an American thing or an African thing. It's a grace thing, a gospel thing, a Christ thing. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 16. Great questions. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and ask, teacher, what good thing must I do to get e eternal life? 
This is an evangelistic one-on-one situation. Watch how Jesus handles it. Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which commandments? Shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Are those familiar to you? Where do those come from? Old Testament? Yeah. Good, thank you. (laughs) Specifically, Ten Commandments. We've heard those before. Love your neighbor as yourself. That one's separate. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? He answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The young man heard this. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus does here, I believe, is very important to observe. First, he's speaking the gospel one-on-one. This morning we were looking at Acts 2. Uh, certainly there, are, there is uh, placed upon people who have been called to public ministry, like your pastors here, like me, uh, to be very clear about the gospel in public situations. Speaking out like this. Can you think of other examples in the New Testament of one-on-one ministry like this, one-on-one sharing the gospel. Other examples. One-on-one, yes? Yeah, yeah, with the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, I believe. Uh, I think that's Acts chapter 9. Good. Others? Other examples of one-on-one evangelism. What's that? The Samaritan woman. That's usually first. People think of, people think of that first when I've, when I've uh, asked this question. Others, yes? Yes, sure. He understands the concept of authority because he's under authority and he has authority and Jesus has authority to say it and the disease will go away. That was a a one-on-one. Now, the situations of these conversations are very different. The Ethiopian eunuch, a guy is reading the Bible and and Philip comes along and said, do you understand what you're reading? And that hasn't happened to me before, although I think I have been reading the Bible and somebody has, has come alongside me and asked me if I understood what I was reading. So somebody tried to, uh, to get into a witnessing situation like that, but I was um, already on his side. Uh, woman at the well. What's the, what's the issue there? What, what is maybe a sin issue in her life? You remember? Remember? 
Yeah, yeah, she was involved in serial marriages, right? One after the other. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. So there were cultural obstacles as well. Now, this, this situation is very different from the Samaritan woman. In fact, it couldn't be more different. Uh, the rich were very well respected. This is a man. This is a Jew. Evidently, he's, a, he's not a nominal, that is an in-name-only Jew. He's an observant Jew. He's active. He's keeping these commandments. And, and in their culture, wealth was often equated with God's blessing. So, so this is somebody who is respected in the community and somebody who was very much disrespected, uh, disreputable in her, in her community. But one thing is clear, regardless of the situation, wouldn't you agree that Christians have the obligation to witness one-on-one as they have opportunity? Is that, is that clear? Christians have the obligation... If they're following the example of Christ and the apostles, they have the example, uh, they have the obligation to, to witness as God gives opportunity one-on-one. Yes? Yes. Okay. I think that's relatively clear. But what Jesus does here, what Jesus does with another respectable man, Nicodemus in John 3, what, does, what Jesus does in John 4, what Jesus... Uh, does in John 9 with the blind man. What Jesus does with Mary and Martha when Lazarus is dead. What the apostles do when they witness to a lame man or to a eunuch differs from situation to situation. But here's another thing that's in common. They always get to the heart of the person's idols or the person's Uh, religious misconceptions. They point up a sin problem or a heart issue. And what I think that we can do as we are trying to evangelize, share the gospel one-on-one, we can tend toward a cookie-cutter approach. You know what I mean by cookie cutter? You've got a tract. It leads through the Romans road. You get five verses from the book of Romans. And they're good verses. They talk about sin, like we were talking about this morning. Uh, Romans 3.23, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Gift of God is eternal life. The plan of salvation can be clearly set out by consulting a few verses from the book of Romans. But here's the problem. If you look at the biblical witness... That cookie-cutter approach isn't going to cut it because Jesus and the apostles always hit the heart of the matter. Jesus was able to, in the course of this, this very short conversation, get down to this man's idol. What was it? Money. He couldn't give to the poor. I mean, isn't that an interesting line? He went away sad because he had great wealth. What was it that he could not bring himself to do? Jesus said, if you ditch your wealth and follow me, if you repent and believe, you'll have eternal life. But he couldn't do it because he had great 
wealth. What's the idol in John 3? Uh, John 3 is Nicodemus. Perhaps the idol would be religious observance. He has a pretty good opinion of, of himself. He is, uh, one translation has, the teacher of Israel. He's pretty happy about himself. But what does Jesus say? He knocks the legs out, of, out from under that. He says, you must be born again. You don't have the very first step of what it means to please God. You must be born again. John 4, this woman is searching for satisfaction, not just of her physical thirst, but of emotional needs. She's thirsty, and he promises the living water. And unlike, uh, unlike this man, she drinks. She gets it. I have found, could this, could, this couldn't be the Messiah, could it? He told me everything I ever did. And she drinks deeply and shares with everyone around her. How do we get to, to where we can tailor our one-on-one presentations of the gospel to the heart of people? I have learned from, uh, I was kind of discipled on this point by a man named Jay Wegter. You can look him up online. I think his name his uh, ministry is Frontline Ministry, something like that. Not the magazine, something different. Uh, and, and he gave four questions. Now, we don't see these in any one text. But remember, the situation changes from one to another. So we have some flexibility about how we get about getting to the heart. So consider this as a means of getting to the heart of an issue. Ask, where did people come from? An origin question. Right right away, you'll begin to see if they view the life primarily as secular or primarily as religious. And what religion? Where do people come from? That's an origin question. You can ask value question. What makes humans different from animals? Why is it so different for me to love veal, which is young cow... Why is that different from my little boy, young human? What, what makes that difference? I mean, you bring up that kind of difference and people are immediately emotionally on your side. There is a big difference. Why? What? What makes the difference? Now, I, in my witnessing, I have an aunt who is angry with Obama uh, because, she, because he is too far right Um, So she comes from a very secular, liberal, kind of feminist perspective. It's common in our culture. And witnessing to her, I imagine if I ask her this question, she would say there isn't a difference between animals and humans. But asking this kind of question gets down to heart issues. O is for origin, V for value, E... uh, O-V-E, evil. What? What's wrong with the world? You, have, you think you're going to find people who are going to say, oh, there's nothing wrong with the world. It's going to be very rare. But do you see how that kind of question can get to the heart of an issue? Ignorance is what's wrong with the world. If people just knew the right decisions they'd make, 
the right decisions. If they knew the right choice to make, they'd do it. So the solution then, redemption, O-V-E-R. That's how I remember the four, the, those four questions. Uh, origin, value, evil, redemption. So how do you fix what's wrong with the world? If you say ignorance is the problem, education is the solution. That sounds familiar. American society very much believes that. What's wrong with the world is ignorance. The solution is education. Well, you know, the Pharisees believed that too. If you could just get enough Bible, if you could just memorize the entire Torah, the first five books, well, then you'd be set. No, but what did Jesus say? You must be born again. Redemption is not about education. Redemption is not turning over a new leaf. It's, it's receiving new birth. So those, those questions have been helpful as I've used them as an opportunity with uh, Jay, my mentor on this point, uh, to witness to a, uh, a Muslim. But she looked uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. I'd, I never would have known had I not asked these questions. I probably would have approached her, you know, if you, if you were to die today, why would God say, or why, and God asked you, why would I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And that's a very formulaic approach, and that's not necessarily bad. But I would never have realized where she was coming from because I made a judgment based on the way she looked. But as it turns out, I think she's from Croatia, and so she's Eastern European and Muslim. Witnessing to her using these questions brought out so many heart issues. And the discipline that Jay exhibited in listening to her answers was very helpful because it, it put up a credit in his account. This guy is listening to me. This guy cares what I'm saying. This guy is paying attention. And so at the end of the conversation, he was able to turn and say, would you mind if I share with you my answer to those questions? How that God made... And she, she granted permission and she was attentive the power of our evangelism is not in our skill. It's not in our methods. Those change as we looked at from those different, those different examples. The power is getting the message out. And this I commend to you as one way. You allow people to talk, answer deep questions, maybe that they haven't thought about a lot about. Then you can give them the answer. People were created in the image of God. And that makes them different from animals and everything else and gives them a special value. And so when they sinned, it really mattered. And that has become a worldwide problem. But God, not desiring anyone to perish, sent his only son so that whoever believes in him will be saved. There's an opportunity that this method affords. So I commend it to you, and not as the only tool in your tool bag, but perhaps asking those questions of origin, value, evil, redemption, O-V-E-R, over. Just ask the questions and then it's over. Uh, I commend that to you as a method or as a means
in helping share the gospel with your friends, loved ones, family members, co-workers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to be bold in telling people a difficult message to hear because we know that it's only by that message that they'll be freed from the condemnation and slavery of sin, that they will be able to finally live, have true eternal life through Jesus Christ, your Son. We pray that you would work among us, equip us for your work and your mission. We pray in Christ's name, amen.